Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. I'm Austin. I'm Ragnar. And me and Ragnar are doing a deep dive into Dragon Quest IV. This week, it's the first episode in our deep dive series on Dragon Quest IV. We did this a while back for Dragon Quest IX, did quite a few episodes on it. We're doing the same thing for Dragon Quest IV. And so this first week, we're kind of talking about like the history of DQ4, a little bit about the hero's world, kind of things like that, but really just how the game uh, impacted the series overall, some kind of history fun facts about Dragon Quest IV. And that's really because uh, we'll probably be referencing this stuff a lot in the next deep dive episodes we do right? in the upcoming weeks. So uh, is that lazy of us? Maybe. Is it efficient? We'll see. Uh, because BJ is going to forget everything anyway. <laughs> it, true. It is. That is, that's one hundo P you got me. <laughs> You're not going to remember any of this tomorrow. <laughs> I, won't. I won't. I got to take a supplement for memory or something. I'm just, it's gone. Yeah. Hmm. So quick news though, before we get too far into today's episode, we got an announcement yesterday, just a few days ago from when we're recording this, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, we get a hero amiibo finally. Finally, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited that we finally get a hero. Uh, I'm excited that we finally get a hero amiibo. And I'm finally excited that we get an affordable hero figurine. It's like the most affordable DQ merch for Westerners, like maybe ever. Like, I'm super excited about that. Like, outside of the ridiculous secondary market that happens for some amiibos, I'm really excited to be able to, you know, walk into Walmart and grab a Dragon Quest toy uh, for, like, you know, $13 or something, whatever they are. And then I'm also excited about the Persona 5 one, too, that they announced that there's going to be a Joker uh, Mm -hmm. amiibo. And I love Persona 5, and I don't really have any merch other than Persona Q2's uh, Collector's Edition. And so Mm -hmm. I'm excited to actually have the uh, Joker figurine standing up too because it they both look really well sculpted even though I've heard people complain about the Luminary one. I mean, it's no Bring Arts figure, but I think it looks pretty good myself. It, yeah, it looks good. There is something, like the paint job and I mean, it's just a prototype right. that they shared. But the paint job for the Luminary, yeah, he, his face or something looks a little jank. Like there's something, there, there was something with it. I noticed it, but I didn't I didn't worry too much because I'm just like, whatever, it's a prototype for an Amiibo figure. And overall, I feel like Amiibo figures have always been high quality. And I'm excited to see uh, what they do with the final version, if they're going to do any kind of additional Amiibo too. Since you can play as the different heroes, I'm hoping that you can get the uh, different Amiibo for them as well over time. Yeah, I I am too. Especially, I would love the hero from 4. Since we're talking about four, today, <laughs> uh, I would just I would really uh, love the hero from four 
because you know there are there is already a bring arts figure of the luminary that you can get on sale for $60 fairly often. I mean, I know that's still way more expensive than like 12 or 13 bucks, but it's at least kind of available. The action figures for eight, the play arts figures for eight, uh, you know, are still fairly inexpensive on Mm -hmm. eBay or they were the last time I checked. Um, And, you know, Erdrich has his own, uh, the hero from three has his own bring arts figure and all kinds of merch already. So really I just want the hero from four because it's a little bit harder to come by that a figure of of the hero from four. So that's I the think, one that I'd be most excited for. I think there's a bring arts figure for him that I saw on uh, uh, Amazon Japan that was about sixty six thousand yen. So for, uh, wait, or sixty six hundred yen. And for the hero uh, from four. For the hero from four, I'm actually looking for it right now as I scroll through. I knew uh, the hero from five got one, but I did not know. Uh, that the and I know Elena has one, but I haven't seen one of the hero, a bring arts figure of the hero, even like advertised as something that's coming out soon. Well, let me let me say this: it was a figure of him that looked like the bring arts figure for five, and so I am uh, looking for it now to send you the link of it because it looked really really cool. And uh, seeing the stuff for the hero for four, like to both segue and to talk about the cool figures, it uh, makes me sad that I chose the uh, the woman to play as during four. That I really really like the male hero more than the female figure, uh, mm-hmm. like model that they use. And so mm-hmm. playing through four uh, made me sad because I really disliked the sprite that they used for her. Like, I really, really like like a lot of the fan art that I see, which is why I chose her. And then playing through the game, I was, I was kind of saddened by just how much I disliked the, the way that uh, the Sprite moved around. And uh, I gotcha. yeah, I really, I see this stuff with uh four and I think he's like, everyone calls him solo from this one. And uh, I just haven't, uh, I wish I'd chose him because he looks really, really, yeah. really cool. It, Solo and the woman is Sophia. It's because they're like Sophia, the default. Okay. They're the default names, I guess. If you don't want to name your character anything, if you want to go with the default name. Oh, really? I don't think Solo I even. Solo and Sophia. Okay. I guess. I mean, I, I never use those kind of names anyway because it's like the official DQ4 manga. He's called something else, and like in other things, he's called other things, and it's just like it's too hard to keep up with. So I'll just call him the hero. <laughs> And now I'm looking for the uh, the Dragon Quest figure here, and I can't find the one for four that I saw yesterday. Probably just talking about they have uh, they call them like they're called like Dragon Quest soft vinyl. Maybe so because he was wearing the Zenithian armor, and he looked really really awesome. Yeah, there there's one of him just normal. Uh, they have heroes for a lot of the uh, previous games. Right, uh, they're just listed as soft vinyl figures that yeah are like sixty seventy five bucks that are older ones. Okay, uh, that they that they did basically before like the play arts or bring arts figures came out in the yeah. 2000s. I got um, you. Yeah. It looks so much like the Erdrick ones and the, the bring arts that I'd seen that I actually just kind of assumed it was a bring arts one. But if yeah. I come across it, I'll send it to you. I know what you're talking about with the hero from four dressed up in all the Zenithian armor with the yeah. Zenithian sword. Yeah. I've seen it before. Okay. I just, uh, I mean, it's it's a little bit out of my price range, so I've never bought it. Yeah, that's how I <laughs> that's how I feel about the die figure that I found on there. It's fifty eight hundred yen, and I don't really want to pay that, but I really really like die after reading the the anime or reading the manga, and uh, but I keep so I just keep looking at it and being like, but but I want mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah, I gotcha. So uh, we have a lot of good Dragon Quest Four stuff to get into. Before we really dive into that DQ4 uh, conversation, though, we do have some new patrons again this week. Uh, we have uh, Lord Roto and Ryan Molina that we both want to give real nice thank yous to. Uh, so first up, uh, Lord Roto. Here's a real nice thank you from BJ. Lord Roto! I am so excited that the hero of legend has decided to grace us with his patronage. Thank you, Lord Roto. And thank you for being Roto rather than Lodo. Appreciate it. <laughs> Um, and yeah so thank you lord roto and then the other one is uh from ryan molina thanks ryan oh what (laughs) thank you ryan you are fantastic i love your channels and you are a fantastic human being who has given me lots and lots of resources for lots of different things so you're a fantastic person thank you yeah, so really quickly, Ryan, thank you. But I did want to use this at, to illustrate a point that I've often talked about. Um, <laughs> I'm trying not to climb up on a high horse here or anything. But, you know, I always talk about how Dragon Quest fans, we look out for each other, right? Right. Okay, so in, I believe it was last week's episode, we told people to go check out Ryan's website and talked about Ryan quite a bit because we were talking about Dragon Quest Ten, right? Right. He was not a patron yet. He became a patron, though, after we had that discussion, but before the episode was live on Friday and he heard it. So like we reciprocated love without knowing that the other person had done that already. It's true. It's why this has probably well, it has become and probably is the most positive fandom that I've ever been a part of. And like it's one of the most positive fandoms I know of in general, just in terms of being nice to each other and being accepting and welcoming. And I know we've said that before, but it's like y'all for real, we do have each other's backs. And it's uh, it's crazy how like I know there were a couple of weeks where I wasn't available like that i was like i think it was when i was out of the country last year actually and uh there and there were some like bad storms in my area at another time and i got messages on discord being like hey dude you okay and uh checking is like hey has anybody heard from bj i know there were storms there and it was like that's crazy to me where it came from members of the dq community so it's uh it makes me really really happy because of that so y'all are fantastic human beings all of you yeah so I just wanted to use that to kind of illustrate my point. But also, thank you so much, Lord Roto and Ryan. Uh, we really appreciate both of you guys joining our little Patreon community, helping uh, to support this podcast. And it's thanks true. to all of our patrons. Let's talk about some Dragon Quest Four. Yay, I finished it. So BJ finished it. It is almost a year to the day that you started <laughs> Dragon Quest Four. Did we you did look a little- it up? We did an episode, yeah, because I knew it was right around here whenever you had started four and I was uh, fighting Nocturnus, the super boss, at the end of six. Mm. And so we did just kind of like a catch-up hour where we were talking about where we were in our different playthroughs of those games we were playing. And yeah, it's almost it's almost a year uh, to the day that you were talking about starting up Dragon Quest Four, and I think you were in the Elena and Kirill and Borea chapter, yep. uh, chapter two at the time. And yeah, so here we are, almost a year later, and you beat it. But congratulations on beating Dragon Quest Four! Woohoo! It was uh, you pushing me uh, to do that to, that actually got me through it uh, to really power through the opening chapters because I still hold that. Okay, so so let me let me preface this by saying that 
there my view on this game is probably skewed by the fact that I spread out the chapters so much and that I had to play through just on different platforms the first two chapters a lot more than I did the others and so it felt really really draggy to me from doing it on uh from doing it on mobile as well so instead of being Dragon Quest it was Draggy Quest <laughs> Oh my gosh. It, that was a good one. And I tickled myself. But it's uh, probably my least favorite of the Dragon Quest games I've played through and played. Uh, and I know that that's going to get me some crap from people. but And it's probably skewed like that. But I feel like this is probably the weakest of all of them, especially given that it's a remake. I think that's what skewed it to, for me as much as I liked the last couple of chapters and liked them a lot. I think that the buildup and just some of the mechanics, uh, they didn't remake enough for the, uh, for the two, well, not the two DS, but for the DS, uh, before they, rather than having it just being a, uh, port, it feels more like a port than a remake, despite the, the obvious graphic and gameplay updates. Yeah, and we are going to talk about the remake differences uh, right. in today's episode, actually. And I should mention that Dragon Quest Four is my second favorite Dragon Quest game after Dragon Quest Eleven. So it's my second favorite game. Uh, it is your least favorite of the ones you've played so far. So hopefully we'll kind of even each other out. Yeah, and that means very little in terms of uh, Dragon Quest games. I don't remember if it was on here that we talked about it or if it was somewhere else, or maybe it was your episode of Slime Time that you talked about it and I was talking back to you guys. Uh, but talking <laughs> about how Dragon Quest games, saying it's the worst Dragon Quest game or the least favorite is still like saying it's still very, very good because there aren't really any stinkers. Yeah, yeah. I think um, Matt and I were talking about that on Slime Time last week. Okay, that's what it was, because I was talking back to you while I was listening to it. I was like, yeah, it's, they're, they're not here, man. Yeah. Let's just jump ahead to our Community Spotlight segment, segment really fast and say that I'm on Slime Time. Last week's Slime Time, our episode was pre-recorded last week, so we didn't get to promote that. But be sure to check me out on Slime Time. It's uh, the other Dragon Quest podcast. We talk about it quite a lot on here. I kind of just assume people who listen to our podcast also listen to that one. Uh, so, yeah, they have two new episodes up. Uh, one of them was with me and Liam was not there because uh he had a new baby daughter so congrats to Liam for Yay! the new baby We're uh, that's pretty awesome yeah a new new Dragon Quest fan in the world can't get much newer than that like a uh -huh. week old <laughs> yeah um and uh so yeah so Platy and I sat down and talked about Dragon Quest Dragon Quest 10 a whole lot so be sure to check out uh Slime Time and uh big congrats to Liam on baby number two Oh, it's number two. I somehow completely forgot he had an older child, even though he plays Dragon Quest with them all the time. Until you said yeah. that, like it clicked. For some reason, I was thinking that this was the birth of his first child, even though I know he sits around and plays Dragon Quest with the others. So, yes, congratulations. Yeah. He has a son that is a little bit younger than Naomi. Right. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So, Dragon Quest Four. some like quick facts for you right here. Uh, it did come out in 1990, which was a very long time ago. That's like 30 years ago. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and it only made it over here in 1992. There's a two-year delay. And when it came over here, it was Dragon Warrior 4. Uh, it was not the last Dragon Warrior game. That was Dragon Warrior 7. But there was a huge gap in time between Dragon Warrior 4 and Dragon Warrior 7 coming out. So in a lot of ways, if you like collect the NES 
Dragon Warrior games, like four mm. kind of ends it there because, you know, you have like Dragon Warrior one, two, three, four, and then there's like, what, a decade, 12 years of mm-hmm. video games, and then you have a PS1 disc with uh, Dragon Warrior 7 on it. So, yep. and uh, it's and the original one was on the Famicom still, that it was uh, ported later to what the PS1, but it didn't even get a Super Famicom version. Did it? it? It was just Famicom uh, and NES. Yeah, it was Famicom. It did not get Super Famicom. Uh, one, two, three, and five Super Famicom, and six, of course. Uh, but yeah, four they just skipped. Uh, skipped four. Uh, there was a remake for PS One. It wasn't just a port. It was a remake uh, for PS One. Came out two thousand one in Japan, and Enix actually promoted it over here. Uh, I'm gonna link to this in our show notes so people can see it because there's actually some scans of the Dragon Warrior 7 manual that you can find over on the Dragon's Den mm-hmm. over at Woodis.com. And so I'm going to link to that here in case people want to check it out because I like looking at manuals and stuff anyway for funsies. Uh, and they promoted it as coming to the West. I mean, you can see it. It's in the very back. You know how PS1 games always had ads, like the, the back page yep. had an ad for an upcoming game. And yeah, this one is like coming 2002 Dragon Warrior 4. And, you know, it tells you to go to enix.com for the latest info, has some screenshots, and tells you that the rating is pending. You remember when video games used to be RP? I feel like that never happens anymore. Yeah, I don't, um, but, yeah they're always rated very, very quickly, actually. Yeah, but Way this one before had, the game comes out, yeah. This one had RP. And anyway, so you can see that. So they totally advertised it and then just never did, never did it and never came over here. Part of that, I think, is because Heartbeat, the studio that made several Dragon Quest games, they mm-hmm. made DQ6 and 7. You're playing Dragon Quest 7 right now on 3DS. Yep, I am. And, e- and even though they closed down years ago, when you boot up 7 on the 3DS, you still see the Heartbeat logo. I have not paid attention to that. Yeah. Like, I, I like for real, because I basically keep 3DS games up suspended in the background, and uh-huh. uh, don't I, I don't remember how long it's been since I even saw the credits that roll through the beginning of it. But that's yeah, I'll say like Heartbeat Studio or something like that because yeah. they did they they did make seven, um, but they they closed down before the remake ever made it over here in the West, and so they claimed because of production costs and translation costs and stuff like that, it just wasn't worth it. So Heartbeat uh, left, and right. uh, I actually did when I was doing those daily quarantine cast minisodes on our Patreon page. Mm-hmm. I actually did a little mini-sode about this because the guy from Heartbeat, uh, his name is uh, Manabu Yamana. He was one of the big guys at Heartbeat, and he went on to find, to found the company uh, Genius Sonority okay. and make Pokemon spinoffs for Nintendo. Um. So, I, so I did a mini-sode all, all about that that you can check out on our Patreon page. But my thinking behind that, I don't think I said this in the mini-sode, but... Just kind of, I've never read anything saying this is what it is, but in my mind at least, uh, I don't, I think maybe Heartbeat just closed down because they saw bigger money with Pokemon. You know, they had, there was a really big gap uh, for seven to release, and they worked on the remake for four, but then you had Pokemon, which this would have been in the very, very early 2000s, which was like this hot new property. Right. And, this IP was already making a ton of money. I think still 
Pokemon is the highest grossing video game IP in history, right? I think so. Like the last time I saw. So maybe they made the right decision by closing down Heartbeat and not making Dragon Quest games and moving over to Pokemon spinoffs. I mean, that Pokemon money, I would like to have a slice. I would like to have a slice (laughs) of that Pokemon money. So, uh, yeah, they did. uh, One of the games that I was most familiar with them uh, before, you know, all of this was, do you remember the Pokemon Coliseum games for GameCube? Yep, I do. I only played, I know I played the first one uh, because I was like, sweet, Pokemon on the console on TV. And uh, that was roughly all I ever did with it. I like I rented it once, I think. I got you. One of my brother's friends uh, had a GameCube and he lived very, he lived fairly close to us. Close enough that like my parents had to drive us there. We couldn't mm. like, walk there or anything, but like it was a short drive, you know, it was like a five minute drive. Gotcha. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he had a GameCube and he had that game. And I remember uh, playing that quite a bit uh, as kids when we would go over to their house. Cause I, w- I would go over there sometimes too. He had some older brothers and stuff that, uh, that I would hang out with a lot while my brother and him were hanging out together and, we were all pretty close in age, like within two or three years from the oldest to the youngest. So, you know, we could all enjoy video games together. <laughs> that's, that's always good to have those groups. Like I had a couple like that where we were all just right there and we'd be able to sit and play video games and share them. Like, man, those were the days. Yeah, I, I did. I also, I thought it was worth mentioning that uh, Yamana, he did return to Dragon Quest for a little while uh, for DQ Swords, which you and I played yep. uh, about a year ago, too. Um, so they made that for Nintendo for the Wii, uh, but it was a Dragon Quest game. So they didn't just flat out stop making Dragon Quest games. They at least came back, uh, and that wouldn't have been his heartbeat anymore. That would have been under genius sonority. Right. Um, but they did make Dragon Quest Swords. So there's some fun facts about heartbeat uh, <laughs> <laughs> for you. Uh, but also just, you know, some kind of, I thought, interesting background info for Dragon Quest Four. The next thing that we kind of wanted to talk about is Yuji Hori. So uh, I, I know I refer to this interview like a lot, but it's so good. You know, the interviews that's at the back of that DQ 11 art book. Right. It's like so interesting. So good. And I think this one is in there. Uh, I'm like 90% sure this is where it is, but uh, they're talking about where, where did they like run into a problem with the series or anything like that. And Yuji Hori says in that interview that Dragon Quest Four was really a turning point uh, for him and for the series because after they made Dragon Quest Three, he was kind of like, "Man, I'm, am I done? Like this is, this wraps up the whole like Erdrick Roto trilogy, and you know where do you go from here?" And also, he kind of thought he'd run out of ideas because I mean, it's like you know you do finish this really big trilogy that's immensely popular, and then it's like, what do you do from that? You know. Yeah, I mean, there is a very good chance of falling off and making a Hobbit trilogy rather than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> there is. Peter Jackson never wanted to make the Hobbit He didn't trilogy. want to make them, yeah. It was basically... I'll... And it's very obvious from those movies that he did not really want to make them. <laughs> yep, it, it very much is. I'm glad they exist in theory. And uh, like, I'm glad that DQ4, like when he got the inspiration for what the game was that uh, it really, you know, it, it didn't only change the way that the DQ series went, that I feel like the way that this was structured and just how advanced it was for the NES really kind of paved the way for a lot of the Squaresoft RPGs on Super Nintendo as well. Yeah, because if you, 
if you you should look on YouTube if you haven't seen this before, the NES Final Battle with Sorrow is like incredible that that's on the NES. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like it is. Sorrow is a uh, is he's a monstrosity no matter what. But on the NES, it just it's not something you would expect on the NES. Yeah, th- with the animations with him transforming and stuff, mm-hmm. it's just like it's amazing. I mean, it's not amazing if you compare it to like a PS4 game, but it's amazing <laughs> if you consider that it was an NES game. Yeah. This was 1990. You know, that's just that's 30 years ago that they had this and so it's just it's pretty crazy so thankfully though yuji hori he did kind of get some extra inspiration here and dragon quest 4 instead of you know in the previous entries you go around and you collect like orbs which Mm -hmm. is a thing that gets repeated in other dragon quest games including 11 most recently uh and then you or you might find like emblems or crests you know that you have to collect and then in dragon quest 4 you collect characters. You have to go around and find all your buddies that you met in the previous chapters. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that it hits me as the le- my least favorite of them is that is one of my least favorite tropes in JRPGs. It's uh, seeing the characters and then having to go basically recollect them. That's why I don't like the second half of Final Fantasy VI as much is because you have to recollect characters. Yeah, and but we should also mention it's a trope now. But oh, back yeah. Then I mean, Dragon Quest Four might have been the first game to do this. Oh yeah, and having them all be individual characters on the NES rather than kind of generated characters from DQ Three was a huge jump. Yeah, you have the they have names, they have personalities, they all have backstories. I mean, there's this huge emphasis on the characters, which is probably why people love these characters so much now. It also, the game changes a lot from the previous entries and the later entries too, in that it's a storybook format. You know, it goes, Mm -hmm. there's chapters, there's five chapters. It's very storybook, which I think works really well because DQ already has that kind of fairy tale like essence about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, storybook, fairy tale, mash them together. It all makes sense. And I think that the the whole aesthetic of the games, the bright colors, the, all of that work really well because this is where you see a lot of the personalities start coming out in Dragon Quest. That it's uh, it's one through three, you can tell they're still you know iterating on being the first games in this genre, and this one after he finished those is really coming into its own and with these being full characters, there are even more characters uh, than, you know, the Prince of Kanak in two and things like that. Like you're, you feel for these characters rather than just let him stay dead. Yeah. Except for Kirill. Rather than just dragging the coffin behind you and having to fly away and find an Yggdrasil leaf because the Prince of Kanak is feeling the vapors. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. He's got a he's got a bad case of ennui, so now we got to go find an Yggdrasil leaf, or else he won't leave his bed. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Still such a such an annoying part, but you know it does make the Prince of Canic very memorable to a lot of people. That's true. <laughs> and I know that you warned me about uh, Carol in this one only casting Thwack 
that there was a running joke that he would cast thwack and whack on characters once he learned those. Uh, and as soon as he learned it, the next battle, he cast three times. Mm-hmm. Instead of healing anybody or doing any of the damage spells he had, it was all thwack all the time. Yeah. And oh, dude, I did not realize that was a thing. Like, I knew it seemed to be a joke in Heroes 2. Um, but when I was playing 4 on the DS, I, I controlled their actions for mm. the most part. Um, so it never was really a problem. And then, you know, I mean, but yeah, it is a running joke. And that's why I warned you about it because I was just like, hey, you know, if you're playing with the tactics on, then Kirill's going to thwack left and right. Left yeah, he needs right. to focus on healing. Like it's uh it's focused on healing because anything else he just considers thwack being the most useful in any situation. Yep. <laughs> and it's like and, and you would think they would fix that. And I think they may have left that in as a joke. Like that that's the kind of AI that you can fix in a remake, but they didn't. And I think that's a joke from them being like, Hey, this is Carol, this is who he is. Yeah, well they did they did change the tactics. The whole tactic system was changed for the remake, and so I think that's what they did, maybe in lieu of completely reconfiguring his AI. Yeah. Because the tactics have completely been redone and changed from the initial iteration of tactics on the NES. Uh, So let's really quickly uh, do that segment that we like to call Shameless Self-Promotion. Shameless, 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 shameless. So we do have a Patreon page. We thanked some new patrons at the beginning of this episode. You can check that out at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. And really quickly, I just wanted to remind everybody that we have a special offer going right now. Uh, If you become a patron for the month of June, by June 28th, then you also get your name in addition to the other fun stuff like stickers and things. You also have a chance to get your name on a special Patreon thank you page in my book just for supporting my Dragon Quest book a little early. It's called the Dragon Quest book. It's going to be out really, really soon, putting some finishing touches on some of the stuff, be out very end of June, early July. And so uh, make sure if you want your name in that book on the special thank you section, uh, you just need to head over to our Patreon page by June 28th, which when this episode goes live i think gives you a couple of days wiggle room to do that if you want to yep so it'll be really awesome you want your name in this history making dragon quest book i wouldn't that's too much build up man don't say it's history making <laughs> dragon quest you're gonna give me like a panic attack don't build it up too much uh and just community spotlight i know we talked about it already but remember to check out uh slime time podcast uh if you've never listened to them before Listen to them. I'm on there in the newest episode, but they have like 20 some odd episodes now. So check it out. There's some really interesting stuff uh, that they've done. They've done some really cool interviews with various people across the fandom and just people who've done, who maybe aren't Dragon Quest fans, but who have done cool things like fan translating Slime Mori Mori 3, for instance. Yep. So check that out. Let's just hop right back into Dragon Quest 4. So We've talked a little bit about the history in terms of, you know, what was going on behind the scenes here and stuff uh, to talk about that more, I guess, for this like latter half of the show uh, is looking at the history, but also kind of like the lasting legacy of DQ4, because it did have this impact on a lot of the future games. Yeah. Dragon Quest 4 was the first DQ game to have spinoffs. 
and it yeah. got a ton of spinoffs like like it, a lot <laughs> a lot a lot that i didn't realize how many it had gotten until like you and i were talking about i mean it may have been last year like even like not even the spinoffs just for video games but for the manga and everything like there's so much stuff for four that uh it really it really amazes me that it's that popular uh but i understand why i mean tornico tornico had was a game for the super famicom and it was the it was the first mystery dungeon game it was Mm -hmm. you know tornico's mystery dungeon and it launched that entire mystery dungeon series yep uh chunsoft you know made that um so koichi nakamura you know he went off and founded chunsoft now it's called spike chunsoft after leaving uh enix but you know he was the director of the first Dragon Quest game, the second Dragon Quest game, the third Dragon Quest game, and the director of Dragon Quest Four. <laughs> oh, so it makes yeah. sense that Tornico would be the first spinoff. Yeah, I mean he served as the director for the first four games. He was even the programmer for the first two games because you oh, know okay. they were much smaller back then when they were making the Dragon Quest games. There wasn't a bigger staff, and so uh, Koichi Nakamura he he programmed these games. So, you know, he, he left the company, he left Enix and everything after that to quit making Dragon Quest games, but Chunsoft went on to make Tornico's Mystery Dungeon, and now, you know, Spike Chunsoft is a very successful company. They have Mystery Dungeon games, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon games, I mean, they're all over the place. And so Tornico was that first, uh, first ever DQ spinoff, and not only was it the first DQ spinoff, but it did also, you know, launch this popular series, and honestly... It probably helped Chunsoft like make a name for itself. <laughs> yeah, for real. And while I'm not a big fan of mystery dungeon type games, uh, I cannot wait to play Tornico whenever you get back up here for the holidays or we're able to uh, whatever it is that you get back up here for uh, in happier times to be able to play that one. Uh, because I think we'll, I'll enjoy the Mystery Dungeon series a lot more uh, when it's not just me repeating the same kind of thing over and over again when we can pass the controller back and forth. Yeah, and you have the Super Famicom one on your BitBoy. Yes. The one I have is Tornico The Last Hope, which is the only one that's made it over to English. It's the second one, and it made it onto the PS1. Um, and that's the one I have that you're talking about us playing together. There's also a PS2 Tornico game that was all in Japanese. And then he also makes an appearance in the Young Yangus mystery right. dungeon game that came out after DQ8. Uh, Tornico's in that one. Tornico's in Heroes 2. Um, he was in the DQ Ballet I watched it, and so Tornico's in that. I mean, he, he's all over the place. Tornico's always making cameos in Dragon Quest games. I I pretty confidently feel like Tornico is the most famous Dragon Quest character. I don't know. Like, I, I honestly have no clue because of, uh, like, I didn't know about Tornico at all until, like, having never even seen him until I played Dragon Quest Heroes 2. And, like, he worked his way into my heart in there. And, but I don't know if I've ever really seen Tornico before that. But I'd seen the heroes. I'd seen all of the uh, the hero art before just generally being around. So, for me, it still feels like, you know, Dragon Quest 1 hero may be more famous to me like, i don't know oh really see i feel like tornico is everywhere i feel like he's like just he's made so many appearances in dq media 
and and I I knew his character, um, like I mean I had seen him around, yeah, and stuff even before I knew which Dragon Quest game he was from. Like I knew that he that there was this merchant <laughs> that that people loved. I, I don't know. I just in terms of if you're if you're gauging popularity by appearances, I think Tornico is definitely the famous, mm. the most famous. I would say Tornico has been in has appeared in more dq media than any other character maybe so um and talking about you know lots of of media he also elena and kirill we mentioned this on their episode on fortune street they also make their way into a whole lot of spinoffs <laughs> they do a lot like especially later spinoffs like it took them a while to appear in spinoffs and then once they got into spinoffs. They it's like they just decided, like, hey, we're in every spinoff now. You know, th- there's the the Itadaki Streets, uh, Fortune Street on Wii made it over here. The Heroes games, and and also a lot of these characters make cameo appearances uh, in things like Dragon Quest Nine, mm-hmm. Dragon Quest Six, Dragon Quest Eight. I mean, Dragon Quest Four. It just has such memorable characters. I feel like that's why you always see them in other Dragon Quest games. Even if it's just a cameo where it's like their worlds got linked briefly just yep. for you to talk to them for a minute. It's like you you definitely see them in other things. You know, Elena even got a manga series uh, yep. in the 90s, Dragon Quest Princess Elena, which I tried my best to track down, dude. Like, so hard. Are they not on Amazon Japan? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just mean, like, I don't have them in my hands. Oh, right okay, now, I gotcha. Uh, right now. Um, yeah, because I did, I did like ask people online, like, "Hey, any of my DQ friends like have this or have access to it or whatever?" Uh, Lucha helped me find it on Amazon Japan. Uh, a couple of other people said they had it, but not digitally or any way that they could get it to me to just read it really quickly, like over the yeah. weekend or anything, like I was wanting to do. Uh, somebody did offer to uh, send me some scans, and then. Uh, I didn't. Hear, I hadn't heard back from them as of right now recording this, so I'm not sure that fell through or what. But somebody did send me a DM and offer to send me some scans. But and those are all in Japanese, right? The scans oh, yeah. and everything—they're not fan translations, right? Right. Yeah, it's all in Japanese. Um, it follows Chapter Two, obviously the Elena chapter of Dragon Quest IV. Uh, but there's, from my understanding, there's uh, like new characters and new locations and things like that. So it kind of like. Uh, fattens up chapter two i guess mm-hmm. that is the best of the chapters i think like in terms of story it's the longest you get a lot more into it uh, i think i like tornico's chapter the best personally uh, i thought it was more fun but i think that uh, the elena chapter is probably the the one that yeah you would want to definitely adapt into a manga that i I, I would like to see it. I think that y'all should get on fan translating it because I <laughs> want to read it and I'm that selfish. So please take on a major side project for me. Now, now when you say chapters, you mean, do you mean including chapter five? Oh, like no, no, no. Chapter five. No, no, of the, of the individual character. The, chapters. the first four chapters. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's what I thought you meant, but I, I wasn't sure. We also mentioned, you know, the hero is also famous. He's a playable character in smash brothers ultimate. We mentioned that at the beginning of this episode. The male version is a playable yeah. character in Smash Brothers Ultimate. And then Ragnar, uh, he he's made some cameos too. You know, he's in he made a cameo in DQ eight. Mm-hmm. Um 
Tornico and Healy did as well. But uh, he's in the Monster Arena, part of that game. And we talked about this when we did our Rocket Slime episode, is that Big Daddy is basically just a slime version of Ragnar. He is. <laughs> like, there's, like, the more that, you know, I know we were talking about it, and we were a little more uh, hesitant to say it then, but now it's like you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's totally Ragnar. It's like that. Yeah, as, I mean, he's got the mustache. Stuff, the mustache. Yeah. yeah, it's all it's all there. So I, I, I like Big Daddy. Yeah. So speaking of Big Daddy, uh-huh. so uh, my friend growing up had a uh, had his 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 stepdad was uh, really big into like uh, cow shows and horse shows and like he he owned farms and for some reason Big Daddy was his favorite movie and so he kept a copy of Big Daddy in every single room where he had a TV so he could watch it at any given time. And huh. I thought you should know that while we're talking about Big Daddy, that someone I know loved it enough to buy multiple copies on DVD so that they didn't have to get up and transfer it to different rooms of the house to watch it that often. That is very uh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to react to that. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's a right way to react to it. But when you said that we love Big Daddy, it reminded me of Herbie loving Big Daddy. So, <laughs> yeah. Huh. All right. Well, um, I do quote that movie quite often when Rob Schneider is trying to pronounce hippopotamus in that movie. And he's like, hip, hip hop, hip hop anonymous. But then he's like, dang, you give him all the easy ones. I say that all the time. Dang, you give him all the easy ones. I forgot that that was where hip hop anonymous came from. Yeah. Like when, when I don't, when somebody like, I don't know, it comes up in, more in conversation than you think it would. That, and I like to say that. Yeah. Dang, you give him all the easy ones. Anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> Big Daddy. Adam Sandler. There we go. Uh, Mina and Maya also appear in a lot of spinoffs. Um, if you listen to our Legend of the Hero Abel episodes, uh, if we were watching all through that anime, uh, they show up in that one. Some Dragon oh. Quest Four characters show up in the anime and Mina and Maya show up there. Um, that's probably their earliest appearance that I'm aware of in DQ Media outside of four. Um, and then, you know, they've since been in Maya is in both Heroes 1 and 2. Amina is in Heroes 2. Even Ragnar made it into Heroes 2 in the Japanese version. So Heroes 2 is just like a big uh, Dragon Quest 4 reunion, except for poor little Boria, who's never making it into anything ever. <laughs> And I liked Boria, and you made fun of me because I had him in my party at some point, and you're like, dude, stop using Boria. <laughs> Boria is so lame. He's like the lamest character. He has the least amount of personality, and honestly, like I never felt the need to really use him in my party after uh, Chapter 2. Hmm. See, I liked him. I like magic users, and I also liked uh, putting the uh, crotchety old man in slot one, so I was just walking around as Boria in the world. <laughs> Which also, that kind of is a, actually a perfect segue uh, to our next and final topic here, uh, which is, you know, all the firsts that Dragon Quest IV offered, is this is the first one in the series to have a wagon. Mm-hmm. Which I actually didn't know was in this one. So whenever I got the wagon, I really liked wandering around the world with a wagon like that. Yeah. From, you get him from Mr. Hank Hoffman Jr. at the Last Chance Saloon. Yep. He, he even joins your party for a little bit. Hank Kaufman Jr. does. He does. And uh, yeah, so you get the wagon and uh, just kind of going with what you t- were talking about Boria there is that you uh, you can put the hero in the wagon if you want. Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Are you insane? But, but you, you can, can do it. <laughs> and so I assume that's what you did to make Boria 
be your lead character? Or no, did you just move you, the hero you to you like a, move the hero slot. to a different slot. Yeah, you can okay, just put gotcha. it in a different slot. Like I didn't actually. I put the hero in the wagon one time by accident, and I'm like, whoa, 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 there. Let's uh, let's not be too hasty, and uh, went back in and grabbed her out. But it was uh, I definitely uh, uh, had Borea like lead my party around for a while, and then I figured out that uh, you got hit. The p- person on the left in the first slot got hit harder and more often than others yeah. kind of protecting them. And I was like, yeah, that's why Bori is dying so often. And I moved him back. It wasn't worth it. Yeah, dude, that's how it is in every Dragon Quest game. I just learned that now. Like, it oh took my me gosh. this many. Like, <laughs> shut up. You've played like five of them. You've I beaten know. Like five of them. I know. Man, you made it really hard on yourself then, I guess. Usually you it was that. Row in that slot. So yeah, so you really... don't notice it. Yeah, I never really noticed it, but when I moved Borea there, I'm like, "Daggum, he takes a lot of damage." And then I figured it out. Like, I don't remember. I was reading the strategy guide or something, and it was like, "Yeah, you want to do this?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fantastic idea." <laughs> so, uh, this was also the first DQ game to have tactics. We mentioned tactics briefly earlier, right. and I said they weren't as nice as they are now. And it's basically, uh, I wanted to expand on that a little bit in today's episode. And that's just because follow orders didn't exist in the original iteration of the game. Uh, okay. Uh, so you, you basically controlled the hero and then you could set your tactics and the tactics were very bare bones. You know, you could let the, you could tell them to like conserve EP, MP, like don't use magic. Uh, you could tell them focus on healing and you could tell them to go all out. I think is go all out, right? Is the term. Uh, they just yeah. kill things all willy nilly. Show no mercy. Uh, Show no mercy. Thank you. Uh, and so it wasn't nearly as good as it was in the remakes. I didn't know that. I thought they were just the CPU controlled AI like normal, like in three, where you uh, where you just had a party that did their own thing. And yeah, and I, that's, that, I was just going to say, that's where the Kirill Thwack thing really comes in is because, you know, if you can't make Kirill follow orders, then... You know, he might just thwack every boss you bump into. <laughs> he does. He sure does. <laughs> he yeah. is a he is a special kind of character. And I like Carol. Like Carol was always in my party. Like I really liked that character. I like the priest outfit. Um, I really like that you get to wear Carol's outfit as a priest in DQ seven whenever you change into that vocation. Like mm-hmm. you I, I just liked him, but yeah, the the thwacking needed to uh, be toned down some. The thwacking. The that sounds thwacking. like a that sounds like a book Stephen King is going to write, like in a couple of years. It's true. The Dragon Quest Four, the thwacking. As a side note, Grace and I watched Doctor Sleep the other day, and it was pretty faithful to the books and pretty good for two thirds of the movie. And then the last third of the movie is complete garbage. So there's Aww. my two cents on Doctor Sleep. Fair enough. That's <laughs> a side there. Um, and uh, but anyway, so. Mini medals were also first introduced in Dragon Quest IV. Right. Uh, it's, it's in the remakes of three. Um, but mini medals, that's where you, I think they were even called small medals in Dragon Warrior Four. Maybe so. Which isn't quite as catchy as mini medals. Um, but yeah, they were first introduced in four. So four had what I know is your favorite mini game in Dragon Quest games and maybe any video game ever. I know how much you love mini medals. Yeah, like I actually like mini medals like these were uh, I I tend not to go out of my way for them, but I like collecting mini medals. 
Yeah, so you have Dragon Quest Four to thank for that. Yeah, <laughs> so like I do, I do get excited whenever I'm going through. I would rather get a mini medal out of a random jar or chest or something than I would a magic item. Like I'm like, yeah, it's a mini medal. I can get something later. And yeah. I don't know why it it is. It's that dopamine hit, like a gotcha game. Yeah. My wife yells at me because when we're in public, I just walk around smashing pots that I find outside of storefronts. And she's like, Austin, stop. And I'm like, why if it's a mini metal? I know. It's like me. It's like I'm always looking for rupees. It's like I'm tearing <laughs> down people's bushes. And Jennifer's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, I got to find my rupees. I just I go into my neighbor's house. I pull out drawers and I find like <laughs> boxer shorts and a mini metal. And my neighbor is like, get out of here. I'm feeling my jewelry and pants. <laughs> uh none of that is true it is but I, it would be hilarious kind of, it would be hilarious and also frightening if it were true. <laughs> true uh and then uh the other thing that they changed up with dq4 is that you could save your game in a church yeah you don't have to track down a king anymore and the in the thing. remakes of one through three did they mm -hmm. fix that because i know that in dq1 the remake you still go to the king but I haven't played the remakes of two and three far enough to really uh, check and see if there are uh, kings in those or if you actually they, they put in the quality of life of having churches. The, the remakes that I have played, you still talk to the king. OK, even even the switch remake of I haven't played the switch remake of two yet. I have it, but I haven't played it. But in one and three switch remakes, you still talk to to the king. Okay, because that's what I was, when I was playing three, that's what I found. And then I was like, maybe, you know, I just haven't found the right church. So good to know. So, yeah. So the like original Dragon Quest four really did add a lot of first uh, just to the series. And it's things that got carried on for pretty much every Dragon Quest game uh, that followed after it. And kind of just want to end here with saying that you and I, in the upcoming weeks, when uh, we're going to do one focused on all of our heroes and characters next week, but um, we are mostly going to be referring to the DS remake, right? Because that's the one that you and I both played and, and beat as the DS remake. Right. So there are some changes uh, in the DS remake from other versions, like the the mobile port of it, uh, the you know PS one Japanese remake, the you know the NES version, there, right. there's going to be differences. You and I are talking about the, the DS one. And I'm disappointed in the DS one that it doesn't have party chat. And I didn't realize how much I didn't care about party chat. Let me put it that way. Like I'm playing, I didn't think I was going to miss it until I got to chapter five of this game. And mm -hmm. like, there was no real interaction between the characters. There was no, uh, sometimes there was no real breadcrumbing along on what I was supposed to do next. That's the kind of thing that you sometimes get from uh, party chat. And I don't know why it's in the mobile version, but not the DS version, because I've even seen people talk about when you data mine it, that most of the lines are there that they just don't have it in there. And I didn't know how much I missed it until I started playing DQ seven again. And it's like, you just hit B and you start party chatting. And I'm like, man, I do. It's like, I like them. Uh, I like being able to hear what rough says. And I like being able to talk to Maribel and it's uh, it's, it makes me happy. So when I'm looking back at four, it's like, man, I really did miss that party chat a lot. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what, it, what you got till it's gone. <laughs> uh, was it in the NES version? 
Yeah, as far as I know, the only version that's missing party chat is the English DS remake. Weird. Totally yeah. weird. And I read at some point, I don't know if there's like a definitive uh, answer, um, but I, I heard that it was due to cost and time constraints. Hmm. Honestly, I'm just glad that we got a DS version of four in English to begin with. You know, right. I mean, I'm just as disappointed as everyone else that party chat's not in there. And it's the, it's the one reason it's the one thing I, it's the one negative thing I really have to say about the DS remake is that party chat is gone. Uh, so I'm just glad we got it at all. But I think, you know, it was, it was Dragon Quest four. It wasn't necessarily a huge like bestseller in the States when it came out on the NES. What a Dragon Warrior game. That surprises me. And so, you know, just the fact that they were at least willing to send it over here to us in English. Like, I mean, I guess I'll take what I can get at that point. And I mean, it is added into the mobile version. So, I mean, that's good. But um, yeah, I think from everything I've read, and I think it's mostly just fan speculation, is that it was it was never finished because of of time and cost. I gotcha. That may, I mean, that makes sense, especially with it being one of the probably lesser priorities for Square Enix at the time. And do you have any plans to go back to the mobile version of this? Because I know you played one through three, and with it having something extra in the mobile version, do you plan on playing it at any point just to experience all the party chat whenever you replay four again? Um, I, I do not, because I don't like mobile games very much. I came really close to replaying four again while you were replaying it or <laughs> while you were finished or while you were finishing it up at least. Um, but I'm holding out hope that the whole Zenithian trilogy makes its way on to the switch soon. Since we got the Erdrick trilogy last year, I'm hoping yep. sometime before the year is up, we get four five and six or at least an announcement of them. I'll take them next year. If, uh, cause I'm playing through them right now on the DS. I just bought five, uh, right. I'll probably join it. Like when I take a break from seven, cause it's absurdly long, but, uh, next year would be good for a replay. Yeah. And me. I'm really excited. Cause the, the Zenithian trilogy is my favorite set of dragon quest games outside of 11. I mean, it goes, 11 four five six in that order I right mean, it's like those are my favorite ones so so you know they're games i definitely uh will replay i'm just kind of i've been delaying it because i keep thinking that we'll see an announcement <laughs> uh for the zenithian trilogy on switch soon and i really i really hope that's the case yeah it would be it would be absolutely wonderful if we did like i would love to see them with just higher res textures like, I love the sprites. Like, I absolutely adore the sprites that are in these games uh, because they all use the same engine, it looks like, for 4, 5, and 6. And so I really love the sprites in uh, DQ4. And I don't want to see those changed other than just high res. Like, although I'm also one of the few people who really like the upgraded sprites in DQ5 and 6, or uh, uh, Final Fantasy 5 and 6 for the mobile and Steam versions. So mm-hmm. um, I know people, I would be fine if they gave them the uh, upgrade for that. Um, but yeah, I know people, other people really despise them. I gotcha. But yeah. So that about does it for our, uh, episode one deep dive into Dragon Quest four. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the heroes, the characters, uh, the, the chosen, uh, if you will. So next week's episode is going to be all about that stuff. Uh, so make sure you join in next week, uh, to hear us talk even more about Dragon Quest four. Remember, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, we are at DragonQuestFM. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash DragonQuestFM. 
You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dragonquestfm. If you want to talk to me directly, you can do that on Twitter at dragonquaston. And you can check out my regular Dragon Quest blog, which is at dragonquestaustin.com. And you can talk to me directly on Twitter at at Professor Beege. You can listen to my other podcast, the geek to geek podcast at geek to geekcast.net. Nope. You can listen to my other podcast, the geek to geek podcast at geek to geekcast.com. And also, if you would like any other awesome, awesome, awesome geeky topics, we have geek2geekmedia.com, where we have Slack and Discord, video game reviews, blogs, and streams, and just all sorts of stuff that you guys would probably enjoy a great deal. So check it out. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, y'all.